Welcome to Conversations at Basecamp. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. And we're the co-founders of Kihila, a private community that is a digitized and modernized women's resource group. Our content is designed to provide the universal core skills, confidence, and competence needed to advance and lead today and tomorrow. We believe that representation matters. On this podcast, you'll be able to hear some of the amazing conversations we have in our platform with an incredible array of diverse, empowered women. These conversations have inspired our own personal, professional, and financial lives and given us the confidence to step up and show up as our boldest, truest selves. We hope to spark fire in your soul too and help you on your journey to live on purpose and get in the driver's seat of your life. This is Basecamp for Women on the Rise. Join us. Step up. And while you're up there, reach down and bring another woman up too. Welcome to today's Ask Me Anything. Listening to yourself and making courageous career decisions with Sherry Van Cleve. So today we're going to be talking about how do you find, listen to, and own your own voice. Sherry will join us, and Sherry has joined us, should I say, (laughs) Um, to discuss the power of your inner voice, how to turn up its volume, and making courageous career decisions against all odds. So Sherry is Vice President and Manager for Wells Fargo Digital Labs. She's responsible for a team charged with managing an an innovation practice that focuses on listening to customers and experimenting with disruptive solutions for banking experiences of the future. There's a lot more to her bio, so please, if you haven't already, take a look at that on the website um, on our platform. But welcome, Sherry. It's so good to have you here today. Thanks, you guys. I always love getting to chat with you. Likewise. So we like to start at the beginning. It's usually not a linear path to how you got to where you are today. So tell us your story. What were the zigs? What were the zags? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to talk about how we listen to ourselves, but I do think it's helpful to ground it in my story because it's unusual. So there's been a lot of need to really listen to myself in order to architect it. Um, Let's go way back. When I was in university, um, like many of us, I, I wanted to be a part of changing the world. I had grown up in a family with a single mom but in a really nice community in Bellevue, Washington when Microsoft was taking off. And so my family struggled and we saw everyone around us doing really, really well while we were like keep on cutting and like, you know, recycled clothing and stuff. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like I can easily go for the next rungs in front of me when I reach for them. But there's a lot of people around the world who cannot reach because when they reach that rung isn't there as we talk about, um, you know, with, with women in general on their ladders. And it made me um, really want to be a part of of helping people who wanted to climb out of whatever situation they were in and, and just accelerate their lives, like giving them more options and possibilities to do that. Cause I felt like I had those choices. Um, and so uh, my first career choice was, I want to go into humanitarian development. I wanted to work for a nonprofit organization and world vision is the largest uh, humanitarian organization working in poor countries around the world in like a hundred developing different countries water and sanitation practices, um, economic development, helping girls stay out of child marriage. You know, everything that you can imagine is what they do. And they were in my neck of the woods, but I didn't know how to get to be a part of them. So I quit the job that I'd had when I had graduated from university. And I just decided I'm going to go intern there. Like I am not satisfied doing my first job out of college. I want to figure this thing out. I don't know how to get in and I don't have any quote unquote social background. So I'm just going to quit and intern and I I volunteered and I think that my first interview with somebody there they said oh you want to volunteer what if we pay you instead (laughs) they knew that I was going to be job hunting and I was like I'm sure yeah like that works for me that's a really good deal and that was probably the first time I ever took a career like a really big career chance and it paid off Um, and I got to work with World Vision for about a decade um, moving my own career from like an analytics um, function. I taught myself how to program in SAS and SQL and was running an analytics team um, to then leading a bunch of marketing and product development teams. I loved that chapter of my career. We helped um, World Vision go from being a 500 million to a billion dollar organization, which is 
incredibly significant in that sector. And they are a very sophisticated organization, experts in the field and experts at mobilizing people in the US. Um, but I wanted to make an even bigger difference. And I felt like a billion dollars, that's like really good, but we're working in a hundred different countries and that's just nothing. Like, how do I make a bigger difference? And as much as my career has blossomed here, if I stay in the sector, the scale of my impact is only going to be incremental. 500 to a billion, I want to go from a billion to a hundred billion. You know, how do we do that? And I looked at the sector around me. I did, um, I moved around within the sector before I left it. Uh, in the nonprofit sector, I moved to an agency where I got to consult, you know, like 20 more, 20 or more um, uh, nonprofits on how they could grow. I really got to see, I did a startup funded by the Gates Foundation. Um, with some incredible backers. Um, my board was amazing. And yet none of these I felt like was gonna really get me to a huge impact in terms of the scale of growth or scale of impact I wanted to, to create. And I felt really fortunate that in my 20s, I was able to have a huge impact in the world. Um, so how was I gonna do that for the rest of my life at, at more impact? So I had to do a huge career change. I went back to my MBA. Um, I did it later in life. I was like, no, I'm finally, I'm gonna like figure out how to go back. When you work in the nonprofit sector, it's not easy to fund that. So that was a risk. Um, and I decided to change sectors. And since my, the question that had become the architecting question of my career was now how do I mobilize more resources to lead change in communities around the world to help people fully tap into their potential. It's about mobilizing capital. And so I moved into financial services, did my MBA over in Boston, um, joined Prudential, um, helped launch their venture capital and innovation function. Um, and a lot of people asked at the time, like that's a huge change. You know, what was that like? Um, and for me, it felt really fluid. I was using the skills that I'd had in the humanitarian sector now within the insurance sector. And I found, you know, here we have so many more resources of capital to change. And yet there's actually a much greater walls and friction to change than what I was able to do um, in the nonprofit sector and what I led at World Vision. So that was a really fascinating set of learnings, getting to see the financial sector inside out, getting to see corporate America inside out. Um, my own, as, as if you lead change, if you're leading, how do you really scale companies? Right now, that means you're tending to, to dabble into digital, right? And like what I'd figured out at World Vision is I know how to fix broken pipelines of revenue or launch new ones. Um, and digital was what helped, you know, enable a bunch of that. Um, and so I found out like my, my, my specialty wound up becoming innovation and digital, not because I'm passionate about those things. I feel like a hundred years ago, my specialty would have been like steam engines or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like not because of the thing itself, but because what it was doing to mobilize change. It, it's right? the vehicle, the tool yeah. to use. Yeah, yeah it, that's exactly it. Like that's the car we need to drive right now if we're going to go somewhere. Um, so uh, at, because that had become my area of focus when I was at Prudential, there was always this itch of like, I want to go, I want to be in San Francisco. I want to be in the Bay Area. It's like the heart of innovation, the heart of, of the digital disruption that we're seeing across industries today. Um, and this was probably the scariest thing that I ever did in my career. I decided, yeah, I want to do that. I don't have a network down there. I have a network in Seattle where I'm born. I now have a network in the Northeast. Um, so if I'm going to do this, I just need to create a network from scratch. So I moved to San Francisco. I left my work at Prudential and um, I knew nobody. <laughs> I didn't know what I was gonna be doing and it was terrifying. It was really scary. I felt like I was jumping into the darkness, like off a cliff. And um, you know, the thing about the Bay Area and why it's so amazing in terms of innovation is because of the network because you meet people within the ecosystem and they introduce you and your idea and your talent to this person and to this person. And if you can leverage that to your benefit, um, you go really, really far. Um, for myself, within six months, I had consulted over 20 um, Fortune 100s on how to innovate, on how to grow and how to change and how to be disruptive to themselves and how to create faster learning cycles including amazing leaders like Procter & Gamble, leaders in R&D over the years who were now asking, wait, R&D looks really different. Direct-to-consumer is disrupting us. Like, how do we learn at a faster clip? Um, I love being inside organizations. 
and doing change and being accountable for that change. So while as much as it was fun to get to see that lens across corporate America, um, I saw that the, the role for Wells Fargo um, came across my desk and I felt like, oh, I, I see myself on paper here, like still in financial services, still getting to really mobilize capital and to do so with innovation and with a digital um, leadership. Uh, and so I joined Wells. And that was a risk because it was six months after um, Wells Fargo had had, had um, the public nature of the sales practice um, issue that Wells was facing um, had been public that September. And so I started talking to them that next September, uh, sorry, that next spring. So it was a risk to say, I wanna join an organization that's gonna go through a tremendous amount of change and I wanna be a part of leading that change. Like we need to double down on what it means to deliver to customers. Um, as a brand and that means doubling down on our innovation um, and so that was yet another risk to to join a company like that and to really be a part of that change i cannot tell you what an incredible experience it's been how much i've learned um, from the process um, so uh, like I, there's i feel like i've lived like multiple lives along the way and like, there's how does somebody chapters. go, right? Like, how do you go from this humanitarian space to, to consulting like Fortune 100s on how they can be innovative and disruptive? Like, and I would just say like the theme that we're talking about today, like that's gonna get into it for me. It's by making courageous career decisions, whatever your chapter is, whatever your career question is, like you can be doing something 10 years from now that you, you thought you would never be able to do. So, I mean, it's such an interesting story and i imagine you know it, it what, what wasn't what you set out to do you didn't have this linear path planned yeah um but you clearly had a sense of confidence and inner voice can you describe what your inner voice is and then how does that differ from your thoughts and feelings i think that's a really important and awesome question and i like the way you phrased it um yeah so i i describe my inner voice i think about it as we have our thoughts in our brain oftentimes some some of us will talk about it as that committee of like you know we think about it this like did you talk to this person or is this ego that's driving you to do this or are you sure you should do this like it's all these different voices at the table kind of helping you think through a decision Right? And I feel like that's taking place at this intellectual level. You're learning, you're researching, whatever, your brain is engaged. We have this feeling level, like fierce, like, oh my God, what if I do that? And you know, it leads to tremendous financial insecurity. And that kind of a thing, like that leads to like your nervous system is engaged. And so you're getting data feedback from your body. Like, oh my God, that's I'm terrified about moving to San Francisco and leaving everything behind. And what if things don't work out? Um, or enthusiasm or excitement. It could be that you have an opportunity to take a role that's gonna have a huge amount of press and visibility and like, okay, now I've, my pride, my emotional like pride is getting involved. So you can feel that in your body. Um, but to me, the most important thing, and I think all of that is really good data to have. I love listening to the, like, using this as a data later, using my emotions as a data later and going, oh, there's fear, that's really interesting. Like, hmm, what's it trying to tell me? Or what's my ego doing here? Why is it showing up? But um, when we talk about our gut, that is, that is where I am listening to what my inner voice is saying. And it really is like deep within me. I think people will talk about it almost mystically, like deep within me, I have this sense of knowing. I put it in my, in my body, like in my gut, like a gut instinct of like, my is saying this is the right thing and it intellectually you guys I rationalize that by saying we don't know a lot about science in our in our guts we know that it's a second brain um, and yet we know very little about this brain let alone that second brain but I do think it's it's taking all of the information the data that we're getting from our feelings our emotions our brain it's synthesizing it in ways that we're not able to understand. And maybe if you're, you're spiritual, it's also tapping into other layers of data that we're not able to understand. But I think it's giving us a map that it is our jobs to follow. And it is the only and best map that we have for our lives. I think every one of us knows this because we've been faced with decisions and gone, this is the thing. Like I know, and I don't know how I know, but I know this is the thing for me. Or conversely, you start to go down a direction 
and you feel like I am letting myself down because this is not the direction for me. No matter what people say, no matter how my brain is rationalizing this, like I know this is, I'm doing the wrong thing for me. And that is happening at this like core layer of our body. So that is the thing that I have learned to listen to. For me, learning to listen to it means not listening to a lot of other voices. And so I have to be able to articulate, oh, this is what's happening at the brain layer. Oh, this is what's happening at the feeling layer. Otherwise, it's too easy for me to confuse some of those things as the thing that I know I am meant to do. And so when you have a gut instinct about something, how does it feel? Annoying. <laughs> like you can't ignore it. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't ignore it. It's just like... Yeah. I think so. And I think it's also like, like a lot of times we want to ignore it. Um, I think that when we have that gut instinct speaking up, it's because it's telling us to do something that looks really different than what we might be doing. And that is terrifying. Right. I mean, a lot of the things like that are going to, I think it's like, let's like think about JK Rowling for an instant. Um, you have a person who wrote the Harry Potter series where um, there wasn't as much at risk. Like you're in a vehicle and she was living out of a van at the time. And like, I have nothing left. Like, I just, like, this is, I'm just going to do this because this is what I have. But for many of us, it's, we have a lot at risk. Like your job is a certain thing. And yet your gut is telling you to be a writer or to be a singer or to be a, to change careers and be a counselor or to change careers and to go into banking and you are humanitarian development. Like, your gut is saying something and it's really different and that's terrifying. And yet it keeps speaking to you. It keeps saying this thing and it creates friction as long as you're not doing that thing that is annoying, that is terrifying. You try to stuff it and be like, I don't want to hear it. I don't, like it's too hard. I'm comfortable in the job that I have right now. It provides for me financially that like it's whatever the things are. Um, but I think, there's a lot of reasons we don't listen to ourselves. And some of it is because it is really terrifying to listen to ourselves because that thing inside of us that's speaking, it is this creative impulse that wants to see us come to our absolute full potential. It wants us to be on fire and to do everything that we are meant to do. Yeah. And doing that is risky. Like you have to like put yourself out there and take risks. Like you guys are women starting this. Like you're starting a company right now. You're putting yourselves out there. There's so much risk, you know, every month that you are doing this. And then you wound up doing this during a pandemic. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, no, totally. It's really and it's scary. And it's uncomfortable as well, because mm -hmm. listening to that knowing, if you will, that, that gut instinct that you just know in your being you need to do. Also, like to, to turn the, the vehicle and move in that direction will be uncomfortable. And knowing that that's going to be the direction yeah. you're choosing. But how do you, um, so you said it's annoying, <laughs> you know, that's what it sounds like. Um, do you then look for data, as, as an intellect, do you look for data to validate that feeling? Like, I know I need to, you know, move in this direction. And now I'm going to, because I think actually so often women, as women, we don't trust our inner voice. And yet our inner voice is very often, um, our data, you know, our experience, you know, our years of experience, career experience, relationships experience that are being able to like make a very quick decision. You know, the, the computer in our head is like, oh, this exactly is the right. decision. So right. it's backed by data. But do you yeah. just trust that or do you look for data to validate that? Yeah, I do. I feel like if I have, if, so if, if I'm speaking from my place of consciousness right now, like that's who's talking at the table, that my consciousness has different um, uh, tools in my tool belt. And one of them is my brain that can go and talk to people and be like, well, how would you do this? Or why would you do this? Or what are the downsides of this? Right. And I get consults or I research and all of that's happening using my brain. And I'm at the same time, I have this body that's giving me great information about my emotional, like, Oh, remember the last time that happened? That was really scary. Oh yeah. That's good data. That's like good to remember. Right. Like, so I do feel like I get to use all of these tools and my job is to use all of these tools to inform my decision. Um, but at the end of the day, the thing I'm listening to is like this, it's, it's in the body somewhere. And I, I tease about the annoying, like sometimes it's peaceful. There's a time where I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing next. And I couldn't believe, like, I didn't know how it was going to come together. 
I thought that's crazy. Um, and my, my, that inner knowing was like, this is what is going to be happening for you. And I was like, that's really weird. Cause I feel like my inner knowing isn't supposed to be like telling me the future. Like I'm not trying to have some crystal ball that I'm cultivating here. Um, but it, it was very attuned with how things were going to play out and, and they did. And I feel like that, that comes from cultivating it, cultivating that ability to really listen to ourselves, even though we can recognize it can be really either terrifying or uncomfortable to do so. And how do you quiet all the noise? All the noise, the external noise. I the internal I, noise. Yeah, there's a lot up in the brain that... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I've mastered that. Like, I think I've more mastered just going, oh, that noise is going to be there and that's okay. And I'm okay with it. Right. And I, like, like after, I mean, there was a, there was a situation once, um, let's talk about negotiating. Um, there was a time where I was in negotiating um, my compensation package for a role and the comp was going to be significantly higher than where I was coming from. Um, and there was a, a, like another tag on to that that could make it even higher. Um, and that I just found out about at the last minute that peers were getting. And I thought, oh wow, like I wouldn't have even thought to ask for this and I don't need it financially to survive. And it's also already better than where I'm at. So I could just be really happy taking this role here, except that I know peers are getting this thing. And so my value, my worth like at market level means I, to honor myself, to respect myself means I need to ask for and go for that thing as well. It's about respecting my value with that company and creating the right kind of exchange. Then I remember going like, it's a, that's a huge ask and you already have everything that you want. And so I had to ask like, is it ego that's going to make this ask? Is it greed that's making this ask? Like what are like, what? So all of the faculties were engaged in questioning this decision to make sure that it was the right one. But it was really deep down in my gut that I knew this is, this is the right thing to do. This is how you're honoring your value. This is how I, I, I feel like commitment to other women. And I don't know if you guys do, even if no one else is in the room, like my job is to make that ask because the women who follow me need to make that ask. And so I'm like privately setting an example for, for anyone, like the, echo, the, the women out there, right? Um, and so I made the decision. I made this, and it's a, it was like a huge ask, you guys. Like, <laughs> and um so like, like a lot is at stake and I had to be like, are you willing to walk away from this role if you don't get it, if they don't give it to you based on this? Like you're going to turn down a much bigger package and a role you're really excited about based on this? And I said, yes, yes, because being valued in the company that I'm going to at the right level that that company is valuing people is everything um, to me. And so I made that decision and you would think like once you've made the decision, then like you're at peace. And I found the opposite. Like I was sleepless. Like all of the voices that had been talking up until then, it was like the voice turned way up on them. Like, are, like how could you do that? You put everything at risk. Like, what if this falls through? This is exactly what you want. Why are you putting what you want and your dreams at risk? Like, and I was like, okay, that's just, I understand that the brain is there to offer this kind of take and it's, it's doing its job, but its job isn't needed right now. So we're just going to allow that and not engage it. I love that. Oh, that's a great example. Um, so you talk about some of the questions you asked, like, is this my ego? Is this, you know, what are some, were there other questions that like really came up during that process or other big decisions through your career where you're like, okay, let me evaluate, you know, am I, is this a real, you know, is this the right move to make in my gut versus my head? Were there other yeah. questions that you, or do you have a set of questions normally that you ask yourself or, or are they unique to every situation? <laughs> I'm sure there's yeah. some, but uh, I wonder like, if there are some, I wonder if there are some, like, I mean, I think the standard ones are the ones that we're talking about now. Like, what is my body saying about this? What is my, what are my feelings saying about this? And if I just sit and listen deep down inside, like in my gut and like, you guys, I will like touch my gut. Like, I'll just be like, okay, like, where what is that thing so like those are a set of questions that always works what are the you know the questions that keep popping up in my head so that I can dispense them it's helpful to be like oh I keep asking 
am I going to ruin everything? <laughs> right? Like that question keeps coming up. That's not a very useful framework of a question. So I can be like, okay, we can dispense with that question because it's not giving us any data. It's coming it's from answerable. here. Yeah, it's not answerable. Exactly. Um, so if you I do feel like that set is repeatable, but I think I have a process I go through, which is always engaging um, others to help me ask the questions. Right, like I will talk to women in my network, I will talk to men in my network and just get them like, what do you think about this? And here's what I'm thinking about doing. And you know, I wanna understand how how they might think about it, how they might approach it. And it is not to, to make my decision for me at all, um, but they surface a lot of the questions um, or the issues. And I find that people will surface the hard, like they'll, people will say, well, are you sure you don't want to do it just because of X, Y, Z? Because we all have the same kinds of fears. Like, yeah. I'm, are you sure you don't want to do it because like you just want the press or you just want like, I don't know, I'm thinking of something that could be like- Is this an ego yeah. driven thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. So when you have those close set of whether it's friends or sort of trusted people in your network, um, they do ask hard questions and questions you don't either think about or you maybe don't want to ask yourself directly. <laughs> And I find it's useful because you can actually use it to, it helps that inner voice speak even more strongly because you find an inner almost like, no, I know that this isn't like, yeah. I know where this is coming from. Um, or, you know, some like in a, let's say in that negotiation standpoint, if I have somebody who's saying, well, are you sure you want to do that? Because that you want to make that ask, because this is already what you want and you feel your body like going, no, I need to make this ask. Because to me, the inner voice, like listening to yourself, it feels like a conviction. It feels like a, I must. Like everything in me says, this is like, this is the must. There's a must here. Right. And, that, and you can trigger that must when other people challenge it. Because it will speak up louder and be like, no, this is you. This is the direction you need to go. So on that, you know, getting... Um, support from an external committee of, of your, you know, your, your advisors, real people, not the, not all the, the committee in your head, but um, <laughs> the real advisors. What, well, two scenarios, you know, if um, there's opposition to the idea of like, ooh, Sherry, that, that's a bad idea, but you're like, no, I must do this. How, how would you kind of push forward in that and also you know if you're presenting a business case for example how do you sort of maintain your professional resilience and your integrity amidst uncertainty and opposition from others so if you're you know presenting a business case and there's opposition to the idea mm -hmm. how would you maintain that because your career has clearly involved a lot of going against the grain mm -hmm. Yeah, well, for sure. And, and a part of what I do in my role is help organizations take that risk that I'm taking personally. Like I lead organizations into the darkness, just like I lead myself into scary cliffs that I have to jump off of. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, no, 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 stop. Like we can't percent. The so entire organization, I mean, this is really what I like, this is what I do for a living. Like corporate America, once you are the size of a corporation, what you have done is become the size of something that is inherently trying to avoid unnecessary risk because you figured out how to make money and you do it really well. And so you try to, 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 to prevent all of the risks that would be associated with losing the money that you are already making. And figuring out really significant new ways of making money, especially in this you know, age of digital disruption, often means putting some of that existing revenue at risk in mm -hmm. order to capture new market value and new risk. Um, and in my role consulting on it, like within a company in it, working with people on this, you have tremendous incentive against it because as middle managers, um, most people are incentivized to not take significant risk because they, they will quit their job if they hit incremental numbers year over year. They will lose their job if they take a big risk and it does not work out. That's kind of the, a mentality, that's the fear. They will keep their job if they go up that 8% or 12% that they had on their scorecard. And there's not a lot of significant risk that tends to get associated with the eight or 12% increases. It's, I put this platform together, we knew we needed to do it, we finally got it together. So how to do that, like how? Um, When I was in my 20s, ironically, when I was in the nonprofit sector leading change, I was a um, bull in a china shop. 
like I knew what I had achieved when I ran programs. And so I definitely got some ego um, at play in that because I knew here's how you do it, right? And when people were, I felt in the way of that, I just was like, you need to get out of the way because this is the direction that we're going to go in. Um, when you're at a large organization, that does not work very well. You don't get your things achieved. Like you can only do whatever you're responsible for that way. But once you're trying to do things that change the organization, you can't do that on your own. Um, so I learned some really important lessons about myself and how to bring people along then. And I would say my entire last decade has been about how I work with people to bring us all to a place where we capture the vision, we set a vision for ourselves, we like everyone can capture that. Um, we believe that it's tangible. It's not just a like a pie in the sky, oh, I wish, what if I could be a cabaret singer? That could be your personal wish. Or what if at the company we could, you know, do this digital experience or I don't know, set up this new business um, that we want to set up. No one will buy into it if it's just a vision that you've cast. They need to believe that it's credible. And so you have to show them, you have to build something. You have to take your own risk, your own budget, put it into market, build something, get them some kind of a data to show them that this is a credible vision. Um, put your own skin in the game is a big part of it. Like you put your own risk at it so that they feel like it's almost like if you think of venture capital, how it works, there's always a, a leader in the round when you're fundraising. Somebody's the lead, fun, uh, the lead um, uh, funder of the, of the round of raising and they're just trying to get other people to buy in. And that's what you're looking for. You're the lead funder of this thing at your company. You're just trying to get other people to put in collectively a small amount of shared risk so that you can get this thing across the hurdle. And it's like, it's so much about building relationships like knowing people, trusting them, understanding, like you guys, this, this is real people and their careers that I'm working with. And that they're, they are trying to get that promote, like all of us, they're trying to get that promotion this next year. And I need to know what it is that they personally care about so that they understand how this is helping them achieve that objective for them. And certainly they don't just care about their promotion. They care about this is the right thing for the customer. This is the right thing for the business. But I need to understand all of those things by building really close trusting relationships with partners if I'm going to sell them on a big risk in the workplace. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so when sometimes these things fail that we try, these risky, you know, and, and that's pretty scary. What do you, how do you think fear and failure can actually serve us? So, and serve like, you know, you or the company in doing these tests and failing from them? Right. Well, so I, I am a big believer in negative data, like, and that includes negative feedback. Um, really strongly believe in getting comfortable with getting negative feedback about yourself. And um, that's hard for a lot of us to get there. And, and once you get there and you realize how quickly you can change once you just know that this is a thing that you can do better or, or change, um, it's really powerful. So getting negative data is power, whether it's about ourselves or about the business idea that we have. So failure, might you could uh, twist that into this negative data I'm talking about what's not working what you should not do and the faster that you can get that data the the better that you're able to iterate yourself or your business idea um, more effectively so a, a lot of what I do is put things into market um, for the company while I while I can do so cheaply and we can get market data um, to tell us if this is a bad or a good idea before we spent 50 million dollars on the idea I love that negative data. I've never heard that before. And going back to your thoughts, feelings, gut, now that you've trained yourself to, um, to be comfortable with negative feedback, when somebody dishes it up to you, does it, does it still feel thorny to you or does it just feel like, Oh, oh for sure. Learning? I think there's both. I mean, there, there's, I mean, it certainly probably depends on the person's delivery, right? But there's like, if they're good at the delivery side, then I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, just give me more, like, tell me more about what I should change, what we can do differently for this thing, this business, whatever. But I think if you're, if you're like, there's personal feedback that you can get that can come really rough. And I think that comes sort of like that sleepless night, like you go, oh, I'm not responding well to that. That probably means there's some truth to it that I don't like, and I don't understand it right now. And I'm going to sleep on it. Like, like I'm going to sleep 
and that, like the great thing about life is that there's nothing we're a reactive um culture right now i think when we talk about social media in particular it's really training us more and more into reactivity um and i think it's helpful to be aware of that because there's no need to respond to stuff right away it's really helpful to get data and to just sit with that data whether it's about ourselves or our idea just sit with it and go okay what's the right thing like let me think about this mm. yeah the pause yes Totally. Yeah. And to be like, oh, like I'm speaking up, like everything in me doesn't like this or it's, there's a hurt right. feelings or whatever, but just go like, that's data too. That's yeah, not real. That's just like data. Something triggered. And, yeah, the amount of time, like I spend saying, this isn't real. This is just <laughs> data. Like it really helps when you depersonalize things like yeah. just, you know. Totally. So, um, a little bit about confidence. Um, first of all, have you ever felt imposter syndrome? Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm sure there's everybody. I imagine that you guys would chat with feels that it is such a um, common experience. I think most people have, have had in their lives. I, I feel it less and less, um, which is interesting because I actually feel like I continue to stretch myself more and more above what I ever thought was I could do. But I definitely feel like I can recognize that feeling now and go, oh, that's just a that's just a, that's just a feeling like that's not ever real. Yeah. 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 I think I'm, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I've been trying to discern like, Oh, there I am feeling that feeling again. It's not a fact. (laughs) Um, you know what I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) She likes up and to the right. (laughs) So, um, you know, we, our whole mission at Kahila is about helping women rise and a big part of that. Our, our belief is a big part of that is developing confidence and shifting your mindset. How can we help foster and develop the voices, but also the confidence of our colleagues and the women, colleagues and the women we lead? So you guys, I have this, the kind of conversation that we're having right now, I have this with the people who work for me, men and women as well. Like, I mean, I, I can be giving, there was a guy on my team this last year I was giving feedback to, and um, I could tell that he was feeling defensive. And it's like, let's surface that. Like, I know what it's like to feel defensive when we get this feedback. Like, I want to acknowledge, I feel defensive too. Like, I f- like here's, so I can relate to where you're coming from, but I know that you also really want to improve this. So like, let's just acknowledge those feelings are happening right now as we're having this conversation. But I'm doing this, I'm giving this feedback because I so profoundly believe in your potential and I want you to know like the next rung on the ladder, the things that you can do if you wanna move up, it's these things. So I'll point out in the conversation with people, I will surface what the, all of the inner tools that we need in order to move forward. I, I personally think the kind of conversation we're having right now, like I don't know if they're having it in schools today, but I sure hope they are because these are tools that it would have been important for us. It was important for us to learn earlier on. It's great that we're learning them now. I want my team to have them because I absolutely believe it's what helps us break through the next wall. When we're trying to move forward in our career, it's not about the knowledge. The knowledge is really easy to get. It's easy to take a skills class. It's easy to learn a new thing. It's hard to change our behavior. It's hard to change our behavior because it's these invisible layers that we're talking about that are keeping us into the same habits. The fear, the, the ego, the what, what, pride, whatever, those things that we don't talk about are what's keeping us at the same level of behavioral competency that keeps us from the next way that we can contribute and reach our potential. Mm. It's so serendipitous that we're having this conversation because we've had, this is the third conversation this week about mindset um, and just that we get in our own way sometimes where, you know, we'll set a big goal and then, oh no, I, I couldn't do that. Um, and there's, you know, it's, it's fear a lot of the time. Um, one of the questions we had, um, there was a comment I think was, how do you hush fear? I mean, I don't, I wish that I could, um, but I don't, I just, I just know I feel like I'm an expert in listening to myself because of all the times that I didn't listen to myself. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really painful. When you don't listen to yourself, you eventually feel, I feel bereft of myself. Like I've, I've suddenly like abandoned myself somewhere along the way. And how do I get myself back? Mm-hmm. Like what have I lost in that journey? And the pain of that is so significant that the pain of, the pain of not being true to myself is far greater 
and the pain of the fear that I'm going to have to endure, but I'm going to have to endure the fear. I mean, I, I will reference, I will reference battle, right? When we talk about courage, they say courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to face your fear. Um, listening to yourself is, there is fear. It is the, the, the courage is saying I'm terrified, but I know that this is me and I believe in who I am. It's the only way that I can get through this life. <laughs> and so I'm going to bet on that despite how terrified or discomfort discomforting it is. Yeah. Um, so last question from us, if anybody, there are a few questions in uh, the Q and A, if you have questions, please pop them in there. We'll get to probably one or two. Oh, you can also vote for the question you want to hear. But so our last question for you, Sherry, is uh, how do you create a safe place to test and develop your own voice? Is that, mm. do you have thoughts on that? I or do. How do you want to get started who really hasn't been using their voice to date? I do. Let's, let, let's think about that. Um, I think about two voices when you say it that way. I think there's like, there's also an authentic voice in speaking to people and connecting with other humans. Um, like what is that voice that you have so that your question kind of brings up how, how do you represent yourself truthfully, speak honestly, speak authentically as a, as a woman connecting with or as a leader. Um, and there's a test bed for that. Like I think every executive um, needs to develop their authentic voice to encourage the other people around them. And the test bed for that could be your own team it could be finding um, networking events that you speak at that are low risk, um, that are working your way up to speaking, you know, very publicly um, over time. But I think every person should look for opportunities to do that because it requires you to be really in touch with yourself, to have an honest conversation like the one that we're having right now. Like, I feel like I'm talking about really frou-frou things with you guys, right? Like, and it takes confidence to, to have a conversation about these things that oftentimes um, are not spoken about in business. And, in, and oftentimes because of the way um, the business culture in the United States has, has evolved and the type of people that are that have created that culture. Um, the other side of your question is how do I learn to listen to the voice inside? Um, I will give two, two thoughts on that. One is for a lot of people, there is, there is a nagging voice somewhere and that it's not necessarily a quiet voice. I'll give you an example of one I have right now um, and I've had for the last few years and it's that um, I'm supposed to write something. And I really dislike that voice a lot. I don't wanna write something, it's not fun, it's a lot of work, it's terrifying. Um, if I were to write something, you have to put yourself out there and people have to read it. Um, and like, they might not like, it won't live up to your own expectations as a writer. Like I love reading and I'll never write something as good as like what I would want. Like, so there's a nagging voice in me and I know it's true. Like, I don't know if it'll be in a decade. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that I'm supposed to do this thing. I start another writing class this fall because I have to listen to this thing. So I would say like, you probably have some nagging thing somewhere and like practice listening to it. Like in my case, go to the writing class. Like that, I don't have to write a book, right? I'm just going to the writing class and listening to that voice and seeing where that first step of low risk listening takes me. Um, and I think the other side is, is you can do it on lower risk decisions. In, in, um, in August, I decided that my next COVID thing was to learn the guitar. And <laughs> it's like, I'm just gonna wanna learn how to play the guitar. That. And, um, and I've wanted to for a really long time and I love instrument. I love, I used to play the piano um, and I wanted a really good guitar. And you know, when you want to do a thing and so you buy like the really expensive thing, even though you don't know how to do the thing, you're like, that's not responsible. And you like outfitted your entire room with like whatever this new thing that it is that you're going to get into. And then it like gets sussed for the next year. Cause you didn't actually want to do that thing. I did that with tennis. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> And I, mean, I took two tennis, tennis lessons and I was like, I'm the worst tennis player ever. But you have like amazing tennis skirts and like, mm -hmm. like all of this. You got the gear. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and so I was like, is it that? Like, or do I really want to do this? And I had to sit with myself and really be like, why? Like, is this the right thing? And I'm like, no, I don't know why, but this is the right thing. And I'm going to get that nice guitar. And I did. 
And I was still like, that's so weird that everything was aligned around this. Cause usually you would think that's irresponsible. So the brain is doing its brain thing of like, are you sure that's not irresponsible? Um, but I did it. I love it. I have been playing the guitar every day. I'm amazed at how much I've learned in just the last month. So on our next get together, I'll whip it out and I'll Amazing. play a little song for you guys. We need a guitar playing too. You need a guitar playing That's all I want to be. But I'll be yeah. hired. You're hired. Exactly. My voice but that's like a low risk thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It is. That's so awesome. Um, so quick question. I have one more question and we'll dive into some of the audience questions. Um, in terms of the, the voice that you've kind of cultivated, your, your outside voice that you've cultivated to inspire, to encourage, to lead, at the same time, have you had to cultivate your self-talk and kind of manage your self-talk? Because I think so many of us berate ourselves constantly. Um, so I'd, I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that. I'm, I love that you asked that question and I know it came up in some of the answers of, mm -hmm. you know, what people, we wish we spent less time doing it. First, I would like to say, please go buy the book. Catherine Graham wrote her own autobiography. Um, she is um, the woman who really created the Washington Post and turned it into what it is today. Um, and she had negative self-talk her entire life. Um, and it really, really um, inspired me this last year to see that because I haven't sort of like, I can't turn off the fear. Like I'm still working to turn down the negative self-talk. It's there, I see it and I go, oh, we're gonna make that positive talk or oh, that's there today. Or oh, on a day where it's hard to shut it down, just like it's gonna be like that today and we're gonna know that it will be different tomorrow. Like there's like, all these different things that I can do to address it and it does become less over time. But I was, really profoundly inspired to see that Catherine Graham, um, first leader of um, a like Fortune 250, I don't know if it made the Fortune 100, but um, company, first female um, leader of, uh, to do that. She also, of course, um, led, uh, the, led the company through the Pentagon Papers scandal. Um, she stood up against the Supreme Court when it threatened to, to shut down the New York Times and the Post. So this woman is like this formidable person, just, to, just like standing there in court you know, defending against the Nixon administration. And her self-talk is negative, her mm. whole career. She gets uh, Warren Buffett. It's one of his first major investments. And he joins her board. Um, like she is incredible and her whole career is negative self-talk. And so I, I recommend it because I want to say, if you're struggling with it, you can, it doesn't matter. You don't like, you can still thrive and be kick ass and be and reach every potential that you have. So don't feel like just because you're still hearing the negative self talk that that is your failure. It's not like despite it, despite it, like it's it's like it's doing whatever its thing is. And like I do believe that we can do all these things. And you know, you're probably working or reading on like how you how they diminish over time, and that's great. Do it. But if it doesn't, like yeah, just no kick ass anyway. Yeah, that's anyway. That's great. While you're on book recommendations, there was a question. Do you have any recommendation on books around receiving feedback? Have you read any good books that like how to take in feedback? Yeah. So, um, great question. I, I am going to say, I'm going to recommend Ray Dalio's book principles. Um, I don't know if this is getting at why you're asking that question. Like, um, but I'll say his, his book helps really think about why we can, how important it is to get data and to be factual about that data, to not sugarcoat things, to not look for sugarcoated data about ourselves or about the world around us. Um, and I, I like, it will shift your perspective on how to go seek that data if you, if you look at how Ray Dalio has looked at it. I love how you use the word data because you take out the emotion attached to mm -hmm. feedback. It's just a data point. It's a, exactly right that you can use and think about how, you know, how you might improve yeah. or work with it um, versus letting right. emotion to it. That's and, really and powerful. And the other reason it's helpful is because we love information. Like who doesn't want information? So once you just see it as data, then it's like, well, yeah, I want that data. Even if I disagree with it, right. it's helpful to have this data that this is your perspective. That's just data, yeah. you know? So good. Um, so we have another, another quick question, which was what was the outcome of the salary discussion? And how I, it, went, it went awesome. 
Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Another question we have: What guidance would you offer for someone who has that knowing, but who's also the main breadwinner, and the fear is how to provide provide for those who rely on them while also pursuing that knowing? Yeah. Um. And I, I resonate with this because there was a time where I was. Um, the breadwinner and I was taking some of those risks and some of those risks that included um, taking on personal debt um, in order to pursue that knowing. Um, uh, I guess my personal belief is that when you are pursuing that part of yourself, you are tapping into a power that is like so much greater than you. Like you are tapping into something that is right with the universe and it will work itself out. And I, like, I don't know how to like promise you that, but I promise you that. Like I promise that when you're tapping into that creative urge within you that is calling you, like that is somehow aligned with some greater thing in this universe. It will work out. But if that's not, you can't be like, I'm going to put my family in jeopardy because like of that kind of a statement. I get it. But I want to affirm it because you know it's true and that's why that voice is speaking it to you. You know that that's true and you know every time you followed that urge in your life that it has not let you down. Like I know that that's true. Um, but I will say there are ways like with the writing in this case, like there are ways to step into it that are lower risk. Like I'm going to take this writing class. I'm not going to publish something this next month. Like I'm going to take this class and You're just improve my job. work on it. And I'm not quitting my job. So write a book. Right, right, right. Right. And maybe like, let's just pretend like, I don't think that that's like what this urge is telling me to do. But in other times, like when they went to San Francisco, that's what it said. Like it was this huge dramatic change in my career. I was terrified financially for the implications that it had for me. There was a runway that I'd like, here's the budget that I have to do this. There's a cutoff on this budget. What if things don't come together for me? Um, so that one, that, that I had to take a huge leap. Um, and, and you just mentioned another important piece of it. Um, you set a budget. So I think also, you know, either starting small or if you're going to make that leap, like look at, okay, well, what costs can you minimize? What, you know, having a plan, having a yeah. plan so that. And you, I have a backup. Yeah. A backup like I have a backup. Like I know I can always call Prudential back. Like, okay. and be like, I, this didn't work out. I'm moving back. And maybe I'll be ashamed. Maybe I'll be embarrassed. You know, my dream didn't work out. Like, like that's true. But the cost, uh, like the cost of shame is actually very low. Um, <laughs> right? Say that again. That's very reasonable. That's a big one. Yeah. So like have a backup plan and that can make you more like, yeah, I don't know. I love that. Able to go that direction. But I mean, whoever is asking that, like you clearly have something inside of you speaking and I really want you to listen to it because I know it is the right thing for you. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's a good place to end. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Shari. That was an incredibly fast hour um, that we just spent with you. That went so mm -hmm. fast. Um, good. I think we have a lot more conversations that we need to have with you, with the community. Um, mm. This was great, you guys. Around, around this idea of just um, being change agents um, and also just more on listening to to yourself um backing yourself listening to yourself thank you really want to acknowledge you um for showing up so honestly um and wholeheartedly for our community today thank you for oh. your time as well so happy to get to connect with you guys and and speak with whoever is out there so um, <laughs> i hope i hope this is i hope this is like yes something that you needed today I think it was for a lot of people. Looks like it. Thanks, you Thanks guys. So Thank you so much. Have a great day. We'll see everyone back in the platform and we will post to those two books that were mentioned. Yes. And a reminder, Sherry is actually a member of the community, yeah. so you can connect with her through the community um, and continue the conversation there as well. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you love this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.